Okay, how was our exercise? How's everyone's amygdala? Oh, good. Okay. Now, uh, I have some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news is that there is a lot of material in this third session. Okay. The bad news is there's a lot of information in this third session. Okay. So please bear with me. We're going to get through it. But this one is really important because this is really the biggest chunk of practicals that we want to give you today in terms of a tool that uh, we think will really help your relationship. So looking back to move forward. Now, before we get into this, I got to confess something. Uh, I became a licensed marriage and family therapist in 2008. However, uh, one decision that I made at that time was I hope and I'm determined to never, ever work with married couples. I'll do I'll work with a bunch of individuals. But man, marriage is just it's too complicated. And I I, I was completely overwhelmed. However, Later on, I got introduced to some of these tools that I'm going to be sharing with you today and some ideas about marriage that completely flipped it for me. And it it not only helped me in terms of being able to now, I love working with couples, but most importantly, I think it helped me understand even more clearly God's remarkable purpose in marriage. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about what we're going to be looking at in this next session. All right. So uh, also, I wanted to bring up something. Um, I just gave you guys um, this whole idea about breathing. Uh, There's been some amazing research in just the last few years. uh, And some researchers will, will call it the sweet spot. And basically what that is, the sweet spot is when you are doing diaphragmatic breathing, breathing from your stomach, but... At the same time, focusing, looking at nature. They've literally watched brain scans. And one of the biggest benefits is this thing called heart rate variability, which is how they measure how how aligned is your brain activity with your heart activity. And when those are off, it's typically very stressful. But when they're aligned, you're sort of in the kind of in a zone, so to speak, okay? And what was interesting, so I was reading this research about that, and, and lately I've been getting into this a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with trees. Man, you give me a tree, I'll, I'll look at it for five minutes. It's crazy. I love trees. But I went back and looked at Genesis, and what's remarkable, and this is just one example, I think it's six times in chapter one, God creates... But then he looks at what he did. And God saw that it was good. So it's interesting. I mean, people can argue all day long. You know, the Genesis account, you know, is it literally so? Whatever. But there is something very true for all of us in Genesis. And one of this, one of those truths, I think, is this. I think God... It's like almost modeling for us what we need to do. But what do we do at the end of a work day? We veg, right? Come on. Am I the only one that veges? Okay. So anyway, now I'm working. I've, I've changed some eating habits remarkably because I realized I w- was often going to food to deal with stress that I was collecting throughout the day. And I realized that was not a good combination. But what I've learned now is God worked. Then God reflected, reviewed what he did. Man, if we did that, or if your marriage did that, right? If your marriage just, hey, honey, let's sit down and let's see what was good today. I don't know. I think God was onto something. I listen to him. I think he makes a lot of sense. Whatever we admire influences our being. Think about that. If you admire God's creation, could that influence you? 
Guys, I mean, we live in a weird concrete city, right? Maybe out in the desert it's different, but uh, it's hard. you got to look hard to find green around here. But I'm telling you, it's very. I just want to add that as a bonus in terms of your getting to safety and stuff like that. We're part of your quiet times. Okay, so uh, one of the biggest things that blew my mind was this, uh, this particular theory. This is based on Imago therapy, which is, I think, one of the most uh, evidence-based couples therapy models that's out there. Uh, it's been around for about 30 years. But basically, their premise is this, that all couples are couples because you are attracted to a person that has a bizarre uh, representation of both positive and negative attributes of your primary caretakers growing up. Okay, now I, I know it sounds a little theoretical, but but the point is, the purpose of that is that you are usually you're drawn to your spouse because of all the warm and fuzzies and all the positive qualities, right? But, you know, we all notice that after a couple of years, the honeymoon's over, correct? Is anybody's honeymoon over? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> don't do that, man. Man. I think half the men are like, oh, man, I almost screwed that up. That's right. So, no, but the point is, after a while, you start realizing, wait a minute. This person ain't perfect. And a lot of that imperfect has to do with there are things that your spouse does that is associated with, connected with, some real stuff that you most likely had to deal with or endure growing up as a kid. Now, the problem is kids, you're powerless. Kids can't sit there and go, you know, Dad, that was an interesting approach, how you decided to correct me there, but that seemed a little strong, and I think you could be a little... Cl- Kids can't do that. Kids get the parenting that they get. Sorry. <laughs> I'm still apologizing to my children. So anyway, but my point is, we're imperfect, right? But, but here's the thing, that the idea is... The reason you're drawn to your spouse is because they are going to remind you of some of those conflicts from your past. But the purpose of marriage now is to face those conflicts and now heal. So, in other words, your your development as a human being does not happen when you leave home. Congratulations. You're, you're on your own now. That's not when you finish growing up. Apparently, your development finishes when you find a partner and then start going through the conflicts that you need to go through in order to complete your development. It's a remarkable, to me, a beautiful, God-glorifying theory because to me it's like, yeah, I get that. And I totally see that in my marriage. Now, here's the rule of conflict. Basically, when you're having conflict... 10% of the energy of that conflict has to do with what's actually happening. 90% of that energy has to do with what's gone on a long time ago. Okay? Your childhood, your development, all that kind of stuff. Now, unfortunately, this is typically how we do it wrong. Oh, no. I think 90% of the problem is her. 90% of the issue is if she would just, or if he just, right? And, and, and who are we looking at as we say that? We're looking at our spouse. Man, you are such the problem. And, and the way that you just did that was so wrong. And then guess where your amygdala is at? Wired, hot. Out of control. And then what are you doing to your spouse's amygdala? Don't you feel safe when people are saying you're the problem? (laughs) Oh, man, thank you. Wow. That felt like deep breathing. I just feel wonderful. (laughs) Is there anything else that I'm guilty of and responsible for? Thank you. Please bring it on, baby. So anyway, our human nature is typically this. And this is what I love about this series because it helps me follow the biblical 
directions better. Which is, I need to be full of humility. I need to be full of curiosity when I'm having conflict with my spouse. And not doing this to her. You know, going all a limbic system on my wife. It's not good. And it's not helpful. And, and the limbic system doesn't heal you. You letting your limbic system control you in your marriage does not lead you or your marriage to healing. But God wants to heal. And God wants to develop you through your marriage. Okay. Uh, history of spiritual formation. So the little dot on the left is your born. Okay. The little cross represents, in my opinion, when you get baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, right? But when does spiritual formation begin? Well, I would say it happens all the way over there on the left. People, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience on this earth. The moment you are born... Your spiritual formation is on. Now, does that spiritual formation go well? No. For most of us, no. Man, when I was growing up, I was in the Bible Belt. I mean, you already heard. I had to go to Moscow to become a Christian. It's like crazy. I had to go to an atheist country to figure out how to become a disciple. It's ridiculous. But the point is, in the Bible Belt, you know, I'm growing up, and part of my spiritual formation was... Okay, mom and dad don't go to church anymore. Grandma goes to church all the time. Grandma's always disappointed because mom and dad didn't go to church. Mom and dad are always upset because grandma keeps asking about it. I mean, Christianity was like, ugh, I hate that topic. Because Christianity in this little kid's world is all about tension and conflict and people mad at each other and people disappointed in each other. So, my spiritual formation was affected by that. I had ideas about God because of that. Some good, but a lot of bad. So our spiritual formation is going on all the time. Everything that happened to you in your childhood, guys, it had an impact on your spiritual formation, your spiritual development. The point is, when you get baptized... Now the rules change. Now your spiritual formation is no longer in your hands, but now you're surrendering, you're denying yourself, and like, okay, now Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. Following Jesus, that's what's going to guide and develop me spiritually. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's the thing. In our marriages, we are in, we are, we are in spiritual development within our marriages. We've got to figure that out or believe and believe and pursue that. Okay, so a growing environment in a marriage. And the reason why I like this 90-10 rule, which Cece and I are going to share an example in just a second. Um, the 90-10 rule, I think, helps sustain a mindset of curiosity rather than suspicion. And why that's very important is because, guys, there may be two words on the screen, but those two words represent two completely different neurological processes going on in your head. When you are curious about something, your brain is releasing dopamine. It's keeping you going. It's keeping you motivated and determined. And you're asking questions. And I want to understand more. But when you go to suspicion, your brain is filled with cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And guess what? One of the first things to go when your brain has a lot of cortisol is short-term memory. Have you ever noticed that? Is your thinking a little fuzzy when you're suspicious of somebody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's bad. And it's usually not very accurate. And it doesn't go anywhere because I've already concluded this is the problem and i got to figure out how you're the problem. So... Our tool today is to help you preserve as much curiosity as you can, keeping your amygdala as safe as possible while you're addressing conflicts. You ready? Let's do it. Cece is going to share um, an example that came up when we learned this. Uh, so the 
Is that on? Yep. Oh, this, yeah. So uh, this whole thing about that we're not just what's going on right here, but it's 90% what's been going on in the past. So David and I, we were out on a date, and uh, we were going to um, explore a new part of town. We hadn't been there, and we, we see this interesting cafe, and we're like, oh, let's go there. Let's check it out. So we go in, and it's in the afternoon. Nobody's there, and it's a cool place. And I'm walking around looking at it and reading what's on the walls, and I'm having a good time. And David was like, okay, well, we should order. And then um, it's one of those, you know, you walk up to the person who stands there and you order your hot dog or whatever it was. And um, I'm taking my time because I was enjoying just being there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it – and I'm sharing this from my point of view. Obviously, this is my recollection of what was going on. <laughs> the, <laughs> um, so then David said, okay, honey, what are you going to order? Okay, stay focused. Here's the menu. You know, because the, the, the person standing by the register is waiting for me to tell him what to order. So I'm like, hey, I'm taking my time and. And David is getting more and more frustrated. And in the end, long story short, was, okay, we're leaving. This is, uh, David pulls me aside, okay, we're not going to do, I I can't even remember how it went down. That's how bad it was. So, anyway, it got this tense, and I did not know what was going on with my husband. But then we go out in the car, and, you know, we, we were just like, we're not doing this. We're going out in the car. And we had learned this thing about 90 and 10%. percent like, what just happened? Like, where did this come from? Where did this escalate from? And because we had learned this thing to lean into curiosity, both of us were like trying to figure out what was actually going on. So, yeah, what is it that was fueling this? Do you want me to share that, or do you want to share share that part? Um, So, yes, Cece's correct. I was getting bothered. And uh, and, uh, we got in the car, and it's just, it's so awkwardly tense and quiet. We're just sitting there in the car, and I didn't even turn the car, and we're just sitting there, and I'm like, okay, what, what, where where have I been before that reminds me of this? And then I, I told her, Oh, when you were in the restaurant, uh, you said your comment was, well, he, he, he's here to wait to help to serve us. Yeah. Right? In Which is very mind, logical. I'm, like, I'm the customer, and if I need time. Right. So, Customer's always right. He can wait. That's right. <laughs> Woo! Yes. We're still working on this one. Uh, anyway, so... So anyway, I sit there and I and, and I'm and I'm sitting there and I'm trying I'm praying and I'm reviewing and I'm like okay why is this where is this coming from because thankfully because of this thing I realized okay Cece is not evil Cece is not Cece's not this horrible wife and you know because I, I it could have been easy just to go to her but I was going into me and then I told her I said you know what okay I I think I'm starting to understand something. And I told her, you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, God bless her, but, you know, my mom definitely had um, issues with anger. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid, we would go to the grocery store, I remember specifically going to the grocery store. And as we're checking out, if if there was any error or mistake on the clerk's part, oh, my mother would go all off on this person. And and. And I remember as this kid just watching it, and I'm so embarrassed uh, for this person, for this clerk. And then I'm realizing, gosh, this is how I feel at home all the time. You know, the way she's talking to him is the way she talks to me. And, oh, my gosh, he must feel horrible because I know how he feels. And just feeling like this profound disrespect for a guy who's just doing his job or maybe not doing it great, but whatever. But I just remember being so stuck and 
mad and hurt and all this other stuff. And so it was interesting to tell Cece this because I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is interesting. As a kid, all I had to do, all I could do is endure that. Because it's not like I could leave the grocery store and go, hey, mom, I think that guy felt a little disrespected. There's no way I was going to do that, right? <laughs> but then realizing, okay, here I'm having this moment with my wife, and it's vaguely similar, right? It's connected to my 90, but now I get to communicate. Mm-hmm. I get to be known by my wife. I get to let her know, you know, what this was like for me and that I don't want to shut down or be mad at you. I want to be able to do this better, you know? Is that... Yeah, I I think for me, it was very eye opening. I mean, when we sat in the car and prayed and talked about this, you know, it was like the 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 light was the light switch was turned on. Like, oh, I get it. I get what was going on with him. Uh, Obviously, I understanding what was going on, I could see my mistakes. So like, okay, yes, I was rude. Yes, I was only focused on me. I was not in tune with like, hey, what would you what? What are we doing here and what are we trying to do uh, uh, versus just focusing on I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter how people feel, the clerk or my husband. So, But for us, it was a big aha moment to just sit in the car, share that, and then feel intimately close with my husband because we were understanding where the other person was coming from. And we could only go there because we were curious. We were sitting there like, oh, what could this be? Where is all this? Where are these emotions coming from? So it helps. The curiosity helps to go to vulnerability. And when you are able to be vulnerable and talk about it and have understanding, then it it's a beautiful thing. Because it bonded us, it helped it helped us to to understand mm. each other, and it helped us to go before God and and just be humble. Yeah. And it was easier for me to apologize, own what I was doing. So that was you're amazing. I love you. Yeah. All right. So um, before we go on, so love is curious. The enemy. The enemy of your marriage, which is never your spouse, but the enemy of your marriage always wants you to be suspicious. Okay? The enemy is winning when we choose suspicion. All right? Okay. Moving on. Einstein was a very smart guy. Problems cannot be solved with the same mindset that created them. I love that. Kind of ties into that Romans 12. I've got to have a renewing of mind if I'm going to fix something that my bad thinking created. So, again, this is why we need new tools and options. Uh, before we read this, I just want to say uh, say something real quickly about psychology. I know, you know, there's there's in, in the field of psychology, I get it. There's good. There's weird And then there's outright bad. Okay, so trust me, I get it. The field of psychology is a a range of things. However, I believe good psychology, good psychology actually helps equip us to fulfill and do what the Bible teaches. In other words, the thing I've loved about learning some of these things is that I feel like it actually helps create the pathway so that my mind can follow the Spirit and have a life of peace. Does that make sense? Come on, man. Any tool or any suggestion that helps me fulfill the Scriptures, tell me. Right? So, the tool that we're giving you today, I think, is an absolute blueprint in order to fulfill James 1, verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can we hear an amen from everybody? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And obviously put this all in marriage, right? These are great instructions for marriage. I know it's about in general, but whew, we need this. Okay. So what we're going to be teaching you today is called the couple's dialogue. It's on your handout here. 
And uh, the first uh, kind of blank there is, first, make an appointment. So in other words, if there's something going on that you need to talk about with your partner, make an appointment. Hey, honey, I'd like to make an appointment to talk about the kids or to talk about uh, Bible talk on Friday or you know whatever issue is going on that you need to talk about. The reason you need to make an appointment and the reason I've learned from my mistakes in the past is that oftentimes when my brain is ready to roll and address an issue, doesn't mean my spouse's brain is ready to roll and talk about that issue. Okay, so I come home and I'm like, man, I've been thinking about this all day long. We need to talk about this. And meanwhile, I have no idea the condition of my wife's amygdala. Because my wife's amygdala may have been triggered all day long on things that have nothing to do with me. But regardless, if her her amygdala is triggered and now I'm going into my issue, I'm going to get nowhere. So. Safety is more important than love. So when Cece and I have things to talk about, and again, like I said at the beginning, conflicts are not bad news. Conflicts are opportunity for growth. So if there's something I need to talk about with Cece, I say, Cece, can I make an appointment to talk about this? And then her response is, usually, and this is what I recommend to everybody, if you're, if you're the spouse asking to make an appointment to talk about something, the other partner should respond with an agreement within 24 hours. In other words, I can't say, Cece, can we talk about this subject? And she says, eh, yeah, let's talk about it in August. <laughs> what? Can't do that. So respect the humility that it takes to ask for the appointment by agreeing to have that conversation, to have that couple's dialogue within 24 hours. Okay. And by the way, when you're asking that question, hey, can I make an appointment? Now you're putting their brain in active mode because now they got to figure out, am I safe? Am I safe to talk about this? Or are there things I need to do to get safe within the next couple hours to talk about that? You know, maybe I want to go pray about it. Maybe I need to eat. Maybe I need to sleep on it and talk about it tomorrow morning. In other words, the person's got to... Be honest with themselves and go, okay, I think I'm going to, I'm going to take responsibility to get myself safe for that dialogue about that issue. All right. Next, keep it brief and keep it safe. Spouses, sorry, um, wives, be merciful. All right. Now I, I've taught this to couples in my office, in my clinical office, and I realized what, ha- what went wrong when I was first t- teaching this, is that I finally gave this tool for a couple to communicate. And because the tool worked, they would go off and have these hour and a half long dialogues. By the third dialogue, we're done. No more dialogues. I can't do it anymore. So, I mean, in other words, they exasperated themselves. Don't exasperate yourself. And don't exasperate one another. So I usually tell people, look, try to keep dialogues within like five minutes. Five, seven minutes. Just come on, get started. Even if you don't finish the whole conversation or the whole dialogue, at least get started. We're keeping the amygdala safe. We're informing, educating the prefrontal cortex, and we're getting somewhere. Okay? So keep it brief. Next, conflict emotion scale. This is really, really important. Uh, and uh, this again from my clinical experience, most couples come to therapy when their conflicts are already at an eight or a nine. In other words, they're already one of them's probably said the D word already, and you know they can't be in the same room very long with each other. And now they're going to therapy. And unfortunately, the sad news that I have to tell them at the first appointment is. Guys, I know you're here because you got some issues here at an eight or a nine, but guess what? I cannot help you with your eights and your nines. And let me explain to you why you have eights and nines. It's because a long time ago, when you fell in love with each other, you were safe. By the way, that's why everyone fell in love in this room. 
because you were with each other and you felt so safe. It was so good. It was so cool. That's why you were creative and romantic and writing poems and forgetting all your problems. Because this other person was making you so safe. And you said, you know what? I want to be that safe for the rest of my life. Let's do this. Woohoo! Right? And then in year one, you had a little bump. And that bump was maybe a two. But hold on, hold on. I like it when this relationship is safe and I love it when we're happy. So come on, let's just ignore the two. We're going to be fine. You ignore your twos. You don't deal with your twos. Because remember, what is God's purpose in conflict? He's trying to develop you. So when you blow off your conflicts, your twos become fours. Then your fours become sixes. And what sometimes doesn't go well, even in the church, is you start having conflicts and you go to other couples. And, okay, other couple, hey, fix our conflict. Next conflict. Okay, hey, couple, fix our conflict. And suddenly you have this culture of codependency sometimes in the church. Where, and and Cease and I went through this madness last year, and I'll share a tool that we did for our ministry, is that we noticed we keep getting together with the same couples every three or four months. And and it's just a it's a game. They're not growing. I'm exhausted and they're not growing. That's a bad combination, man. So in other words, we've got to be learning how to grow through our conflicts. Now I'm not saying don't get together with other couples. I'm just saying don't give other people the responsibility that you are supposed to give the Holy Spirit in your life. Holy Spirit, you need to be governing my mind. Not my whoever. I know, I'm on tricky territory. but But my point is, you can't do these exercises or learn new skills addressing big conflicts. So everyone has to dial it down a little bit and talk about some conflicts at the one or two level. Practice this skill at these kind of levels of conflict, and you'll learn this tool, and then you can apply it to bigger conflicts. Okay? Sorry. All right, so first step, part one, is mirroring. Okay? So, if one person is has made the appointment, they want to talk about, you know, raising Billy. Okay? Billy's behavior is out of control lately, and the spouse doesn't feel supported or whatnot. So they're making the appointment. That means they're going to be the sender. And the other person is going to be the receiver. All of these instructions are for the receiver. Okay. So if I'm sending, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send what I need to talk about in short increments. Like one or two sentences at a time. And every sentence or two that I speak the other partner is going to mirror back as closely as they can exactly what I said. How does this sound so far? It sounds tormenting, doesn't it? Okay, so anyway, but why, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because guess what? Would anyone like to guess which part of the brain is required in order to listen and state back what someone is saying? Thank you. That's right. So mirroring, it's not for the benefit of the talker. The mirroring is actually beneficial for you so that you don't go to your amygdala and start reacting and start correcting and start doing all your stuff. So it actually helps contain you. Now, there's a bonus. The person speaking does feel listened to, which, by the way, that also does wonders for the amygdala. When you feel like someone's listening to you really, your amygdala goes way safe. Staying creative, playful, nurturing, solution-oriented, all that good stuff, all right? So you go back and forth until the sender has communicated all that needs to be said about raising Billy or whatever the issue is, right? And then at some point, and every time you finish a statement, the person says, I heard you say, they mirror it, did I get that right? Yes, yes, tell me more. And at some point, there's no more to say. 
Nope, I think that's all they need to communicate. Now, I again, like I said, with time, please keep it brief. Try, and again, when you're preparing for a dialogue, try to do some homework first and just narrow it down. What's the most important stuff that I need my partner to hear and understand about this issue? Okay, so you go back and forth with the mirroring, and then at one point the person's going to say, tell me more, and the other person's going to say, you know what, that's all, that's about all I needed to communicate with you. Now we go to part two. Part two is validating. So the sender has communicated all their thoughts and ideas and concerns about this issue. The other person has been mirroring everything back, and now... The listener is going to wrap up in about one sentence what's one thing that makes perfect sense about what they just heard. So here's some examples. I can see how you would see it that way or from your perspective, you make sense or I can get that or that makes sense to me because. And just kind of wrap up. What's one thing that makes sense about what the other person said? All right. Now. Keep in mind, validating does not mean agreement. Okay, please don't think that just means you've got to turn your brain off and like, okay, yeah, well, you're right. No, validating is just making helping the other person feel understood and safe so that we stay connected as we're working through this issue. Okay, part three, and this is, I think, one of the most powerful parts of this, is the empathizing. So empathizing. After you've made a statement of validation, now you're going to shift and you're going to basically guess three specific feelings or emotions that the other person felt about that issue. So in other words, so in dealing with Billy and all his problems in school, I can imagine that made you feel or makes you feel frustrated alone, overwhelmed. In other words, empathizing is I am trying to step into your world and feel what your world feels like, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came into this world to completely and utterly empathize with us. So empathy is a big deal. It's a powerful deal. And then you ask the person, do you feel any of those feelings? Now, when I've done this with couples, you know, maybe 70% of the time all three words work. But if you, if only two or one of them works, just acknowledge which feeling is accurate. Then the other person can maybe guess some other words. Or I would say after two guesses, go ahead and just tell the person. Yes, I felt frustrated, overwhelmed. But the third one I felt sad. Okay? Does that make sense? So we're just trying to get three, and by the way, it's three different feelings. Here's the thing that most most common happens. A person says, well, I imagine you felt mad, frustrated, and ticked. <laughs> Wait a minute. Those are all three related. So it's three, You're try, again, you're trying to get the wide range of what this person's experience is like. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. Any anybody doing? Okay. So uh, this is a mood meter. Uh, I really love. One of my clients just told me about this app about uh, three months ago, but it's mood meter, and basically, uh, this is basically a tool of emotional intelligence. Uh, and it's amazing how this thing works. So it's an app you can download. It's like a buck, I think. But basically all emotions they put in this range, there's low to high energy emotions on the left side there. And then on the bottom you have uh, degrees of pleasantness. All right. So one example of a low energy, unpleasant emotion is uh, hopeless. Right. That makes sense. Uh, unpleasant, high energy is uh, furious. Right. Anger usually has energy to it. Uh, an example of high energy, high pleasantness are things like happy, proud, inspired. Those are good. Right. OK. 
I just I'm using, giving this to you as a tool because I know for a lot of us, if we weren't raised in a family that talked about emotions a lot, you probably don't even have the vocabulary really. And guys, if you don't have a vocabulary for something, you're stuck. You just feel and you don't know how to get it out. So this is a very very helpful tool. Here's a uh, yeah, that's a screenshot I think of the uh, of the app. So mood meter app. And this tool is very interesting. What they'll do is you 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 open up the app, then you pick what range you're in. It'll tell you what words are you know are correlated to which dot. And so this one it says frustrated, but if frustrated doesn't fit, I'll look at all the words around it and go, oh wait, no, I'm a little more tense. So I click tense, and then after I've selected the mood that I, or the emotion that I have, then it tells me, asks me, what's going on? What's happening in your life that's created that particular emotion? So it's literally training you to understand how life is connected to your emotions. Really helpful tool. And then it records all your answers and uh, then gives suggestions to shift your emotions. Because typically we're all moving toward better energy and more pleasant. Very helpful tool. All right? Okay. Now, before we take a break, I want to ask... Are there any questions about the dialogue? Or should we do our example first? Never mind. Cece and I are going to give an example. We're going to do the dialogue for you real quickly. And uh, am I making the appointment or do you want to make the appointment? Oh, you've got to make it. Hi, honey. Hey, Cece. <laughs> Can I um, make an appointment and talk about um, uh, getting ready to leave? Is now a good time? This is very awkward in front of 200 people, but yes, let's do it. Yes. Yeah. And what's the, what's the subject again? Uh, uh, when we were getting ready to leave. Oh, okay. Leaving the house. Leaving the house. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. You're good? You're good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um. When, um, when, uh, when you go out and are ready, uh, to leave and you go out and sit in the car. Okay, what I heard you say is when I'm ready to leave and I go out and I'm sitting in the car. Yes. Um, Did I get that right? Yes. Tell me more. Did I turn uh, off your line? No, he muted you. You're on? You're both on. Okay. Um, I, I know that you uh, value being on time. What I heard you say is that you know that I value being on time. And I do too. Sorry. Uh, oh, if you miss it, like you don't follow everything that the person said, you just ask to resend. Okay? Can you resend that last part? I do too. I also value being on time. Oh, okay. What I heard you say is that you also value being on time. And I know that you are trying to help me. And what I heard you say is that you know that I'm trying to help you. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay, tell me more. Um, but what happens when you decide to go out and sit in the car and wait for me to get ready? What I heard you say is that what happens actually when I go outside and wait in the car, did I get that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Tell me more. Then I feel... Um, I, I get um, stressed out, and um, it doesn't help me. So what I heard you say is that you actually get stressed out, and it actually doesn't help you. Is that right? Yes. Tell me more. So then um, I... Um, I get upset and it doesn't help me 
to actually do what I want to do. So what I heard you say is that you get upset and you uh, aren't able to do what you actually want to do. Correct. Is that right? Okay. Tell me more. So, um, uh, when we are um, when we are leaving for somewhere, then I there are things that I want to get done, and they uh, that is pressure for that's pressure for me. So what I heard you say is that um, when you want to go, there are things that are important to you to get done in order to leave. Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. And just a second. By the way, if the person is sending too much, like I'm, I'm thinking oh, I'm not going to be able to mirror all that, I just raise my hand. I don't do this. I do this. <laughs> Tell me more. So then, uh, what usually happens then is then I come out and I sit in the car and um, I I feel uh, double judged because I failed myself and then I failed you. Hold on. So what I heard you say is that then you get into the car and then you feel double judged because you feel like I'm frustrated with you and you're frustrated as well. That. I have that, failed, can you resend that last part? That I have failed myself and oh. that I have also failed you. Oh, wow. Okay. So what I heard you say is that when you do get in the car, then you feel like you have failed me and you failed yourself at the same time. Um, yes. Did I get that right? Yeah. Is there more? No, I think that is it. Awesome. Um, okay. So first of all, it does make sense to me that uh, you also value being on time. And it makes sense to me that if I'm out in the car, you feel alone uh, trying to get all these things done. And I can see how you would feel like a double failure when you finally get in the car. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then I imagine that situation when you're in the house and I'm in the car waiting I imagine that makes you feel um, stressed, alone, um, neglected. Do you feel any of those feelings? Um, Yes, but maybe abandoned. What I heard you say is that it also makes you feel abandoned. Yeah. Okay. Um... What what can I do? No, no. Um, I imagine this makes you feel disconnected in our relationship. Is that true? Yeah. What can I do to help you not feel disconnected in our relationship on that issue? What would help me is if you asked me, what are some things that I am trying to get done before leaving? Okay, so what I heard you say is then before I leave to actually ask you what is important for you to get done before we before we leave and before I leave out to the car. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that would help me. I love you. I love you too. You're awesome. You're awesome too. Okay. Thank you for listening. Give her a hand. So, okay. Uh, now, did you notice that wasn't fun? <laughs> okay. Now, but here's the thing. This takes effort. And when you were dating and falling in love and all that kind of stuff, you know what? Unfortunately, God released this crazy cocktail in your brain composed of 
dopamine and some oxycontin and all oxycontin and all this stuff. <laughs> Sorry, not that one. Oxytocin. Oxycontin is the back issue. Okay. Uh, anyway, there shouldn't have been oxycontin in the in the formula. But anyway, but my point is. You had all these amazing drugs going through your head when you're falling in love, and guess what? Everything was easy. But when you love someone, you're willing to do effort to, to help a person feel understood, grow through issues. Because, guys, that's what we're in it for, right? We're here to grow. So. Uh, now, by the way, that was real. That was not some made-up thing. That that's real. What CC was sharing. And, and notice, you know, when you when I always teach this, I always feel bad for the receivers because like, oh my gosh, I got a mirror and validate. But man, sending in short increments, it's hard. But guess what? If you're talking about an issue that's had your amygdala going, by the way, when your amygdala is activated, you talk louder, you talk faster. And you talk more. Sounds like a sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> that was not fair. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Man, Mike Rock deflects perfectly. I love it. Okay. So, um, anyway, that was a low blow. I just, I just lost friends with all the staff. And all the members love me. I love it. Okay, this is good. Okay, but my point is that is what happens when we're at when our amygdala is hot. That's how we're going to communicate. That's why sending in that format actually helps you stay safe while you're communicating something that's made you feel unsafe. Okay. Now, I hope I hope none of you feel nervous. But here's the thing: our exercise right now is going to be practicing on something positive. Now, again, the tool we just explained is about dealing with conflict, right? But come on, we want to be nice. You came to a marriage or workshop, you know, we don't want you to be overwhelmed. The point is this tool is helpful for conflicts, but man, if you really want to learn how to develop this muscle in your brain, in your brain let's practice it on something positive, okay? One person's going to send... The other person is going to receive by mirroring the short statements, validating, and then empathizing. Okay, that's what we're going to do during our break. Now, I also understand we probably need a bathroom break as well. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. Uh, so let's take, uh, what do you think, 10 minutes? 12 minutes? 12, 30. Let's go for 12 minutes. And within those 12 minutes, if you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. But most importantly... Please follow just those first three steps of the dialogue on something positive. All right? All right. You're dismissed. Thank you.